Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, here to talk about the twin system today with J.J. Cooper. Uh, J.J. spearheaded the group effort uh, ranking the twin system this year. J.J., twins have a really interesting system, and that's uh, coming off of a really interesting year for them at the major league level. They surprisingly won the American League Central, won 101 games. Uh, A couple people liked them as a sleeper team. No one saw them become uh, one of the most prolific home run hitting teams of all time won 101 games, second most wins in franchise history. But for all the fireworks, they still were swept by the Yankees in the American League Division Series, which, as any twin fan will tell you, is a sad repeat of history, and they're still looking to get over that hump. JJ, when you look at the twins where they are now, uh, they added Josh Donaldson to the equation, a big free agent signing this year. When you look at where they are now, combined with the talent they have in the farm system, how do you kind of assess them as an organization? And maybe how close they are to getting past the division series. I, I, I kind of like where they are, but I mean, I will be completely transparent to say that part of that is, is that I, I would kind of love being in the AL central. The AL central right now is kind of in a situation where, okay, the white Sox are, are trying to reach the crest of their rebuild the twins are trying to be as good, if not better than 101 wins, but okay. I think we're done talking now. I, I mean, again, Cleveland's going to still be part of it, but Cleveland is stuck in a cycle of trying to maintain as best they can, but at the same time, while keeping payroll very much under control and that's kind of given the twins an opportunity, an opportunity. I feel like that the twins have, done a very good job of taking advantage of, you know, Minnesota seems more willing to spend right now than Cleveland. They also, it should be acknowledged are younger in their cycle of success than the, uh, than, than the, than Cleveland is. And and by doing so, it means that some of their star players are a little cheaper right now than Cleveland's are, but you look at where this team is right now. And obviously the, the lineup should be one of the best in the big leagues in 2020 it would be shocking if they're not adding Donaldson to what was already a really good lineup kind of just kind of firms that up it also really I think helps them defensively because you're adding a really good defensive third baseman it also moves Miguel Sano over kind of to first base DH much more full-time I think that's advantage that way that the really the only question to me on a big league level when you look at this team is what they ran into trouble against the Yankees was quite clearly they just didn't have the starting pitching to map up, match up uh, against New York. They didn't have the starting pitching to match up against Houston if they'd have been matched up against Houston. They just didn't have enough starting pitching, and they, they've gone to plan B. They didn't add a real front-of-the-ace uh, you know, rotation stalwart, I, I feel like, at the front. I feel like more they're, 
They're kind of hoping for improvement from the guys that they already had. They added some useful guys to kind of bulk up the, the rotation, but not guys who are going to, to front the rotation. And because of all that, it's either a question of is the bullpen good enough, is the offense good enough to make up for that, or is it something where maybe they have to make a move come trade deadline to, uh, to fix that problem? And as we dive into the farm system, we'll see they do have pieces where they could make a move if they wanted to go that route. They also have some interesting pitching prospects who uh, might be able to make their way up and you know become some of the, the mid-rotation and potentially, if you really dream on it, maybe even a front-of-the-rotation type of arm that can help them overcome that shortcoming that was very much laid bare in the division series. JJ, lining the system up, Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov have flip-flopped a little bit as the number one prospect in the system. Lewis, the top overall pick in 2017, had held the mantle for a while, really struggled this year. Alex Kirilov took over as the number one prospect in midseason. Lewis appeared to get back on track going into the Arizona Fall League, was the MVP of the Fall League. And, you know, he showed flashes at the Futures game of what everything looks like when he's all timed up and it looks really good. He certainly showed it in the Fall League, but it's been a matter of consistency with him. He was at high Class A Fort Myers and double-A Pensacola this year at both spots, hit under 240, on-base percentage under 300, slugging percentage under 400. In your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the twin system, where do they assess Royce Lewis kind of as a prospect right now, and ultimately what kept him number one in this system? Everyone still loves, when I say the tools, that's almost a little too simplistic. He runs, he has significant power potential for a, a, a player who has a chance to play uh, an impactful defensive position, up the middle defensive position, whether that's shortstop, second base, even center field. He does all those things, third base. I mean, again, wherever he plays, he should have a defensive impact of some sort, and he has power, and he runs well. Those are attributes that are, are pretty much universally agreed to uh, with Royce Lewis. What is the giant question and, and, and really has him, uh, I would say, has a little bit less ceiling than what we thought he would have had coming out of the draft is I don't think you can feel all that comfortable about his hit tool, even if you really like Royce Lewis. You can write off his 2019 season and say that was a bad year. He can do better than that. All those things are true, but it's just harder and harder to think that he's going to be really a, uh, a, a plus or, you know, a three hundred type hitter down the road. It, it does seem more like his profile is going to be a, as kind of a power guy with, uh, with what the twins would hope would be an average bat. Uh, it, it's, it's not as, as pure a, a hit tool as, as maybe we had hoped, but the rest of the tools are still right there. As you mentioned in the AFL, he had a really strong AFL. 2020 is going to be absolutely everything for Royce Lewis. Well, not everything. Okay, I don't want to be over hyperbole, you know, use too much hyperbole. But at the end of 2020, if we're talking about Royce Lewis and he has another year like he had in 2019, he's probably not a top 100 prospect. Because at that point, the question would be, okay, a guy who hasn't hit consistently in the last two years, well, is he really, is he a 50 hitter? potentially is he a 45 hitter is he a 40 hitter but right now considering how excellent his debut was how quickly he moved how quickly they've moved him because he had such a great start to his pro career 
you, you give them a little bit of a, 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 of a chance to kind of prove that last year was kind of the everything going wrong for Royce Lewis. But I, I kind of would throw it back to you, Kyle. You saw him in the AFL. Like, where are you kind of standing on Royce Lewis at this point? He looks really good in the AFL. You know, one of the things that's – I want to say frustrating, but it's one of those things where you have so much data, you know, pulling in different directions, which guy is the real Royce Lewis. On the one hand, you can say, you know what, he was 20 years old. He was in the Florida State League and then jumped to double A in the Southern League, two very pitcher-friendly environments as a young middle infielder and struggled and just say, hey, that happens. I mean, the youth where he was, it makes sense. But, you know, we also go back to uh, I help out with our Southern California draft coverage. And as he was going into that year, he was considered a, a top prospect. He'd been one of the better players for a while at a premier program at J. Sarah. But, I mean, it was a concern, even as an amateur, uh, you know, how much he was really going to hit. Everyone loved the athleticism. Everyone loved the makeup. He's a first-class human being. You know, you believed he would get the most out of a lot of his abilities. There was a lot of question whether this guy actually would hit. Uh, he didn't hit for a good chunk of his senior year, kind of turned it on late and just talking to evaluators. It was split down the middle. And even those who believed it was not a hard belief. It was a, you know, I think he'll figure it out. I think there is real concern. This is not something new. This is not a, a fluke, if you will. This is something that people were concerned about. He'd get to better competition and start struggling to hit. But again, on the other hand, the youth, the athleticism, the makeup, all those point in the direction of, eh, you bet on him to figure it out. He's one of the toughest prospects to evaluate, I think, in the minors. And also, he shows you the flashes. You know, we see him at the Futures game, BP. When he's – we talked to a couple of evaluators about this. There's a lot going on in his swing. There's a lot of moving parts. There's, there's a lot of things that get thrown off, you know, timing-wise or balance-wise, and it affects him. When it's all synced up, you see it. You see, you know, what he can do when everything's right. Uh, the flashes in the Futures game, you know, even just batting practice uh, into the Fall League. I got there at the end of the Fall League when he had kind of tailed off a little bit. The games I saw were not his best games, but you still saw it. It was all there, and he played a pretty good third base too. Um, he's tough. You know, obviously, I think you want to be the optimist and, and bet on the youth and the tools and the makeup and the upside, but I do think the hitting – concerns are real this isn't flukish they didn't just this didn't come from nowhere and that makes it tough for me and but I also understand why he's number one in the system and, and I, to move that forward with Alex Kirilov you know he was hurt for a lot of this year also very young got to double a had an okay year but to be honest I heard quite a few evaluators really start to question the way his body was going uh, there's a lot of questions about how much power is really in there when you were talking to evaluators about Kirilov versus Lewis directly, was there any support for Kirilov above him? Or, you know, did Lewis, Lewis's stock fall? And in conjunction, Kirilov's stock fell? Because that's what I was hearing. No, I think, uh, I think that's a, a very tough call. And you get some definitely some differing opinions. The tough part with Royce Lewis is, is you just summed it up pretty well. The tough part with Alex Kirilov is we're evaluating a player who – we're having to give some kind of understanding that we haven't seen Alex Kirloff at his best, at his healthiest for a significant period of time. And so you're projecting again, obviously with all this, we're projecting five years down the road, but part of that is, is we're also looking at the resume that they're compiling and, and you're kind of giving a, again, and with him, you're also giving him a little bit of a pass because you're saying, okay, he played hurt. And so what did that mean? How much did that keep him from being 
as good as he can be? And is this something that I don't think that this is a, an injury. We're not talking about someone who this is a, uh, a long-term debil debilitating concern, but at the end of the day, it's a very tough call between the two of them, but I do think you are saying, okay, one has a little bit more safety, I guess, because of the defensive value. I mean, one thing we didn't talk about with Royce Lewis is, is, I mean, there is a debate about Royce Lewis as a shortstop, mainly because of, I would say more than anything, because of his arm stroke. But at the same time, there is there should be defensive value there more so than you're going to see with with Kirilov. I do think that Kirilov is a better pure hitter, and if if you want to make the case for Alex Kirilov one over Royce Lewis because you're going to bet on the bat, I, I can get that. I can get behind that. I talked to more people. I think we all did who thought that Royce Lewis should be number one. I think the feedback we're still getting right now as we wrap up our top hundred is is that Royce Lewis because of the upside, because of the chance to be plus, you know, to have plus power at a uh, impact defensive position, he should probably be, uh, be one and, and Kirilov too, but it's, it's pretty close. And I do want to say that while we're talking about each of these guys, maybe dropping a little bit, we're not talking about like huge drops. Both of these are our slam dunk top 50 prospects. Really uh, you know, likely they're, they're in the range of, you know, top 35 prospects in baseball. They're just going from maybe both being top 20 to more top 35. Still really good players. A lot of people like the one guy that in the system, it seemed like was really, really rising from a position player standpoint, consistently hearing nothing but good things was Trevor Larnack at number three. And Matt Eddy doing the Southern League uh, top 20 for us this year, as he does every year, you know, kept telling us and ultimately published it. Lewis and Kirloff, there was a lot of having and hawing, a lot of maybes and buts. Everyone loved Larnack. Everyone loved what they saw. Was there any consideration for putting Larnack potentially number two? You know, funny enough, even though Larnack's a college guy, He's actually the same age as Kirloff. They're both 22. They're both born 1997. Now, Larnack is a couple months older, but all intents and purposes, they're about the same age. And I mean, Larnack did outperform Kirilov. Right. I, I mean, again, there's not a, a massive difference there. I think there are a couple things going for Kirilov over Larnack. One is, is we are kind of giving him a little bit of, of credit, of, of extra credit for the fact that, as you mentioned, the wrist injury, we think that there's a little bit more in what we're seeing from Kirilov than what we saw from Kirilov last year. And, and two, I, I do think he's a little bit more athletic. I, I do think that he is a little bit pure hit tool. I think Larnack may have a little bit, a touch more power. Kirilov has a touch more hit. Um, and, and I do think that as far as defensively, I mean, they're both, there's not a whole lot of difference there, but I do think Kirilov little more defensive value runs a little better a little better athlete it's but it's a, it's a pretty small margin here this is this is what was was fun about this twins list is there are a lot of interesting guys on it now what's interesting to me about it is is that you look at this group overall and there aren't a whole lot of guys that we're talking about if you're looking at the top 10 at baseballamerica.com there are not a whole lot of guys on this list that you would say they had exceptional 2019s. There are not a whole lot of guys on this list you'd say, okay, he came out of nowhere. He really kind of burst onto the scene, no track record, and now we'll have to see if he can maintain it. It was more of they have a lot of guys who have some 
some pretty significant uh, attributes that, that stand out and kind of had okay seasons, not great seasons in many cases. Okay, you know, solid. And, and, and kind of, so I, I guess what I'm saying with that is, is, is that I feel like that this is a group that, although I like the system as it is, I feel like this is a system that has a chance. If we're talking mid-season, we're doing our mid-season updates, and, and Kirloff's been healthy, and Royce Lewis hasn't hit 225, 230, and, and Larnack keeps doing what he's doing, and you get to the Gratterall, you know, Balasovic, who is a guy who kind of did emerge last year, but Balasovic and Duran and, and Jeffers, this is a system that could be better at mid-season than, than how we perceive it right now. And we already perceive it to be a very good system. Look at these three position player prospects. One of the things that's kind of interesting to me, looking at the Twins and, and the moves they've made, really the last two years, the contracts they've given out. You know, in the case of Royce Lewis, you know, shortstop and third base were probably going to be his two main positions potentially. Well, Jorge Polanco is locked up for a long-term deal. Josh Donaldson just signed a four-year deal. And all of a sudden the path for Royce Lewis becomes, well, if Byron Buxton again can't stay healthy or again shows he can't really consistently hit, maybe that's a spot for Royce Lewis. But right now, there's not an easy avenue there. You look at Alex Kirilov, first base. Well, they just gave Miguel Sano an extension and moved him to first base. Max Kepler's in right field. They gave him an extension last year. Potentially, the place for him would be left field if the Twins decide to move on from Eddie Rosario at some point. But Rosario's still a good, productive player. It's not a guy you're going to just push aside. Right. I, I do actually think that's why I think they should look at Royce Lewis in center field, not full time, but they should definitely get him acclimated out there, get him ready to do it. Because if you look at the other thing with the twins, we talk about, okay, they, none of the guys, and again, we'll get into some of their pitching a little bit, but it's really hard to grow a, a guy. If the, if the twins are going to solve their front of the rotation problem in 2020, it's going to be more of a guy like uh, Barrios, who's already there, Jose Barrios, than it is one of these prospects stepping up and, and filling that role immediately. That's just asking too much of a guy. But, but when I do look at – look at when Byron Buxton got hurt last year. Again, they don't need Byron Buxton with this lineup. They do not need Byron Buxton to be a middle-of-the-order bat. But they do need him healthy because they need his defense in center field. They don't really have a whole lot of other viable options there. I do think that Royce Lewis is potentially the best backup option they have in, in 2020. And so from that standpoint, it makes a whole lot of sense to start getting him acclimated, start getting him comfortable out there. Because at the end of the day, you have to prepare for a Byron Buxton injury. It happens regularly. And they don't have a whole lot of other good options to me to be the, uh, the fill-in. And that is going to be an interesting thing to see exactly, you know, how much they move Royce Lewis around. We saw it in the fall league. They gave him time at short. They gave him time at third. They gave him time in the center field. It would be really interesting to me to see how they kind of deploy him. You assume he goes back to double A and, and it'll be interesting just to see where they put him and how often they put him at different positions and where they ultimately kind of settle him in. The top three in this system, it seemed like we're, we're fairly straightforward. Was there a debate to get Brewster Gratterall or Jordan Belazovic or even John Duran as high as number three, or, or was this the clear top three, Lewis, Kirilov, Larnack? I'd say clear top three, although it's not like there's a massive gap either. Um, again, this, I think it's a clear top three, and then those, that group of pitchers 
And that is clearly delineated. I think the top six are at a different level than seven on on this list. So I want to jump into these pitchers. So uh, to peel back the curtain for our listeners here at Baseball America, Brewster Gratterall, Jordan Belazovic, Joan Duran have all had time on previous top 100s. And as we're preparing the 2020 top 100, sending stuff out to various front office officials, one of the things that I thought was interesting, one of the feedbacks that I got that, that really rose my eyebrows, guy said, Gratterall, move him up. Belazovic, move him up. Duran, move him up. It seems like these Twins pitchers are really in the eyes of a lot of evaluators their stock is rising. These are real dudes that not only are top 100 prospects, but safely in the top 100. In some cases, you know, closer to the top half than the bottom half. And I think to me, that is going to be one of the most interesting developments for the Twins moving forward because we've talked about not having that true front rotation type pitching. And that's not new. You know, you go back to the those teams that were losing on the ALDS in 2009, 2010, and it's like, man, they're throwing out Scott Baker and Nick Blackburn. That, that's not going to get the job done. You know, the times they were making, you know, the one time they made the ALCS and they were a little more competitive, they had guys like Brad Radke, Eric Milton, Joe Mays, who were all all-stars, and a young Johan Santana was coming up, although he was in the bullpen on that 0-2 team. But they haven't really had the level of, you know, two, three all-star starting pitchers. Now if you take Jose Barrios, sprinkle these guys in two years from now, it feels like for the first time in a while, the Twins might actually have some upside in their rotation. Well, for one, I mean, they have more guys who throw hard than they used to. And credit their, uh, their drafting, credit their, their player development, also credit Wes Johnson at the big league level, who they, are, they do a much better job of developing velocity. Velocity is something that you can develop. We, that's, that's an unassailable fact at this point, and I would have a fun argument with anyone who argues otherwise because – I've seen it over and over and I see organizations that can do it. Um, you know, part of it does just involve, it doesn't work for, I'm not saying you cookie cut it. I'm not saying it works for every pitcher, but some of the things the twins do about using the lower half effective, uh, you know, hip shoulder separation, uh, efficient deliveries, all those things direct to the plate, they work. And, and that's something that the, the twins have done a very good job with. And I think some other teams do too. But I also do think, okay, if we're saying that the Twins are in the middle of their window right now, I'm sorry, Twins fans, I'm not confident at all that I am confident that some of the pitchers that we're talking about are going to help their big league club. But I also just know that it is rare, it happens, but it is rare that young pitchers, if you look at, okay, when we talk about the pitchers who who they were lacking when we talk about the al you know the al playoffs and we say okay why weren't they able to match up well the guys that they weren't able to match up with are guys who are in uh, again okay the astros are the extreme case in their case they're talking about guys who are in their 12th 13th 14th years in some cases of their big league careers you know Verlander, Greinke, but it was also a guy like Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole turned into an ace, but Garrett Cole needed – Garrett Cole is the number one pick in the draft, and it still took him, you know, two, three years in the majors before he really kind of put it all together. Um, and then he took a step back and needed another three or four years yeah. in the new organization to put it all together again. Look at, look at Walker Bueller, who has moved, I would argue, very quickly, but – 
with Walker Bueller, you started to see it like, okay, in his second full pro big league, you know, not second full, but his second big league year, he was described as a fast mover. And he kind of showed that, that Luis Severino, who has kind of been some form of that for the Yankees at times, but it was really like his third, fourth year in the big leagues that he did that. So I guess what I'm saying is, is the normal progression is, is that if you're expecting or you're hoping that Gratterall or Duran or Belasovic is going to be in the rotation, if, again, if you put in the bullpen, I think the, the development can move a little quicker. Um, but if you put them in the rotation, it's reasonable to hope that one or two of those guys is going to help in 2020, is going to be in the rotation full-time in 2021, that kind of thing. But it is more of the Berrios. It's more of Pineda. It's more of guys like that who are already there who they have to hope take a further step forward to me than it is expecting these guys to be. If you're expecting these guys to kind of be one or more of these guys to be number two starters types, in 2023, 2024, yeah, I think that that's a, a, a solid hope. I just think it's, it's kind of unrealistic to think that these guys are going to be front rotation guys, guys who you want pitching game one or game two of a uh, playoff series in 2020 or maybe even 2021. That said, it still probably would be a better situation. I love Randy Dobnak. Randy Dobnak ranks pretty well in the Twins' top 30, but if you'd have told – Randy Dobnak in midseason that Randy Dobnak would be pitching game starting game two of the uh, the playoff series at Yankee Stadium I think he would have said you're crazy I, again everyone would have said that so they're gonna have to they're, they're gonna have to do something and I think the, the the farm system is not the answer to fix that for 2020. Well I think the way it's it helps me the answer is is in trade and we talk about you know six really good prospects who all have top 100 pedigree, um, who have a lot of positives to their name. You know, the, the top two guys, even with steps back, are considered no doubt top 50 prospects. And then prospects, you know, three through six, everyone sees as on the way up. So it's a good place to be. JJ, you mentioned these top six were very, very clearly the top six of this group. There's a drop-off. Seven to ten, uh, a lot of names, some guys newer draftees, uh, other guys newer international signees. How many different players were in the mix for the 7 to 10 range? Because there are a lot of different options in this twin system that the depth, if you will, stretches beyond number 10. Not only does the depth stretch beyond number 10, but I would absolutely say the difference between number 7 on this list and number 20 on this list is pretty modest. Um, you know, we, we already have the 30 done for the Prospect Handbook, which will be shipping very soon if you order it from BaseballAmerica.com. Um, I mentioned Randy Dobnak. Randy Dobnak's not in the top 10, but Randy Dobnak, Devin Smeltzer, uh, Lewis Thorpe are all guys who, who did pitch for the, uh, the big league club. Again, in Dobnak's case, he was the Twins game two starter in the playoffs. Guys like, uh, you know, like them, guys like Brent Rooker, guys like, uh, you know, Gilberto Celestino. There, there are a lot of guys, Jorge Alcala, Lamont Wade, Matt Walner. There are a lot of guys who all are grouped in here together. And here's the tough thing about it. I, I really like this twin system. I really think it's, it's pretty deep in guys who are going to be big leaguers. It's pretty deep in guys who are ready to help the club in 2020, um, which, hey, 
there's something proximity value is to me real and 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 significant. If we're Especially talking for about a team a, that's in playoff contention, absolutely. I, the the Twins are a team that has a number of players who likely won't break camp with the big league club, but will get at bats and innings with the big league club in 2020 who are already on the 40 man who have options and will probably, you know, they're, they're ready to Lamont Wade is either going to be their fourth outfit, or if not, he probably heads back to triple a, but Lamont Wade's going to play for the big league club. You know, it, I would say that I just mentioned the Smeltzer Dobnak Thorpe combo. Those three guys are not all going to be in the twins rotation. I don't even think those three guys will all be on the twins opening day roster, but I would also be very surprised if they're all prospect. I think they'll all exhaust their prospect eligibility in the next year, because uh, again, you want to have guys who can pitch innings for you in the big leagues, in, whether it's a starter or reliever, maybe in a swingman role, all of those guys can do that. And all of them can provide significant innings. So, there's a lot that these are all guys with options who are also very inexpensive right now, as far as their contracts and who all could, should provide value to the 2020 club. Brent Rooker, we just, you know, I don't know. I have no idea if all the moves as you just laid out that they've made, I don't know where Brent Rooker fits for them right now because there are guys standing in his positions who are in the big leagues right now. And there are guys ahead of him, on the pecking order, a guy like Nick Gordon uh, is another one who I don't know if he really fits in their 2020 plans, but these are guys who've had upper level minor league time who you could absolutely say could help a team in 2020. And that's where I do kind of wonder now, I don't want to get twins fans too excited here. I, I don't think that Lamont Wade or Brent Rooker or Nick Gordon are the kind of guys who are the cornerstones in a deal to, to bring back an ACE or anything like that. But they are guys who have value of some sort. They're the second or third pieces in trades, got things like that. And I, I do think that the Twins at some point are probably going to have to make some moves just because they have a, a pretty full big league roster and they have a pretty full AAA, AA roster of guys who are, are pretty close to ready. And there's only so many entries. There's only so much, you know, that you need where depth and all that where – some of this value may be best in being traded, being turned around into something that either to bulk up the farm system for the future, or you go quantity with some quality to help bring back a, uh, a useful arm in return who, who makes the big league rotation better in 20 or for the second half of 2020. Now, if you, I mean, again, part of that's going to be tough is, is that you look at the, the trade that the Astros made, the, the twins can absolutely turn around players who are just as valuable as the four prospects that the Astros sent to the D-backs for Zach Greinke. It's not hard to find a group of them and see the guys that they could trade. And in doing so, you know, that wouldn't really hurt the farm system that much. If you said that they were going to trade, pick your, take your pick of, of one of Gratterall, Belasovic, and Duran, and then one of the next group of pitchers, you know, that I mentioned all those guys and, you know, throw in a, uh, you know, a Blaine Enlow or a Matt Cantorino, you know, guys like that, and throw in a Brent Rooker who's kind of the Seth Beer type and throw in, you know, uh, another one of these bats as the, uh, the answer for the Rojas part of that trade. That's not hard for them to do. The question is, is could they take on the payroll? So 
I do think they're going to have some, some strong incentives to make some deals at some point because at the end of the day, the depth that you have like this is kind of a, uh, it's a, there's a time limit. There's a kind of a ticking clock on something like this because the value of these guys goes down in trade if they sit in AAA for too long because a lot of times guys like that go a little bit stale and they kind of need to be uh, moved somewhere to kind of spark them at some point because guys don't like to spend all, you know multiple years in AAA. With that, all those guys you mentioned, a lot of them have upper-level experience what led you to rank a guy like a Misael Urbina who, you know, 16 years old, 17 now, I should say, uh, barely played international signee or, or a guy like a Blaine Enlow who, you know, was, was a decent pick, um, has never really stood out in the minors, hasn't been bad, but you look at the performance, it's been, it's been fine, not great, not terrible, just kind of, you know, solid and fine. Um, what put guys like this over, you know, say the Brent Rookers who – you know, for whatever his flaws, played for Team USA, has real power, got to AAA, and should be ready to help next year. Um, again, it's hard. Okay, in that exact, exact example, and again, I've, I've always been a Brett Rooker fan, but Brett Rooker does not have a defensive position, and that's a problem. Uh, you know, I am – we all have our, our – our, our attributes that we look for and our attributes that worry us. I am always, 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 whether you are playing for an AL team or an NL team, I'm always worried by a player whose defensive limitations make it hard for him to play. Brent Rooker has not yet proven that he is an adequate corner outfielder or an adequate first baseman. And, and, and that's going to be a hurdle for him. You're right. The power is legit, but I ended up going with some guys who have a little bit more projection, a little bit more upside. You could absolutely construct a, a case for the Brent Rookers. Again, we talk about those pitchers. I mean, Devin Smeltzer pitched successfully for the Twins at times in 2019. Question is, is how much, how much upside, how much impact is he going to make as a uh, a pitcher who has to be really precise because the stuff is is uh, fringe average. I, I would say is a fair way to put it. Same, you kind of say some of the same things about about Lewis Thorpe. You could say I think Randy Dobnak actually has a little bit more uh, pure stuff than those guys. Now at the same time, I think that Dobnak faces some questions about okay, it's kind of come out of nowhere. So we have to see. We have a little bit. It's it's a little easier for me to feel comfortable. Devin Smeltzer, I remember you know watching what he was doing in, in college. Uh, Randy Dobnak, I will be completely transparent and say. I got a call from, you know, I, I was never talking to a scout midseason this year, and that's the first I'd ever heard of Randy Dobnak. And if if you're not part of Randy Dobnak's family or you don't go to a whole, whole lot of USPBL games or you didn't, uh, you know, attend Alderson Broadus University, which shout out to you if you did. Other than that, I don't think you'd heard of Randy Dobnak at midseason, before midseason this year either. So uh, there are guys who have a little bit less upside, but are closer to the big leagues. And I went with the guys who are a little further away, or in case of Mizell Urbina, a lot further away, but have higher upsides is the way I viewed it. Yeah, you mentioned you know, guys like Dobnak and whatnot, um, not quite breaking the top 10. One guy who also did not make the top 10, uh, not to you know finish on negative or anything, uh, Keone Kavaka was the number 13 overall pick in the draft this year. He was one of the biggest risers. Uh, didn't even make the area code games last year. The Premier High School Showcase was not at any of the major tournaments. 
Uh, it's funny. I, I saw him play for East Lake High School as a junior, and I don't remember him. I was focused on Grant Holman, and they had a freshman shortstop named Marcelo Meyer, who's going to be a first-rounder a couple years. I mean, Cavaco was just not a guy on a ton of radars, uh, really exploded last year, turned himself into a top half of the first-round pick, 13th overall by the Twins, and word on the street was if he had fallen past that, the Angels would have picked him at 15, and if he had fallen past that, the Mariners would have picked him at 20. Like, there was a pretty strong consensus this guy was a first-rounder in a lot of people's eyes. By the same token, helping out with Southern California draft coverage, I kept noticing the same thing. All the area scouts who would watch him, you know, five, six, seven games in a row were like, I don't think he can hit. I, I don't think he can hit. Where all the cross checkers and scouting directors and upper level guys would go in and see him for a game or two on the right day, would see the tools, see him make one or two hard contacts and say, I'm in. Goes out in his pro debut and you never want to go crazy over pro debuts, especially for high schoolers who are tired off of long seasons in the Gulf Coast League. He did strike out 35 times in 87 at-bats. The slash line was really, really ugly. You dove into it a little bit, ultimately decided to leave him outside the top 10 behind guys who were picked in the same draft but 20 picks later, like a Matt Cantorino. What were you hearing about Cavaco, and how worried should Twins fans really be? Oh, I I think that you have to be worried. Again, you don't want to go overboard on it. But that was a frightening debut. You mentioned he struck out 35 times. Um, One of the things that stands out to me, 34 of those were non-competitive at-bats. What do I mean by that? 34 of those were three-pitch strikeouts. That's, that's, That's something where you have to climb a long way from that. Like, okay, to put it this way, he was the 13th pick in the, in, in the draft. I would be surprised. I would be very surprised to see him break camp at the end of spring training and head to full season ball. Would you? I mean, you have to see what he comes back and looks like in minor league spring training, but based off that debut, no, you would expect that to stay back. Okay. I go overboard on this sometimes a little bit. High school first round hitters who aren't ready for full season ball in their first full pro season right there. It's a bad track record. It's really bad. That's the, the reality of it is, is that if you are drafted in the first round as a high school bat, you are expected to be one of the more advanced hitters in, in, in your, in your, you know, in that class. And, and that's not him. Now, I I don't want to make it all negative. I do think if it, if, if he can figure out what, you know, was going wrong at the plate, if he can figure that out, everything else is what you like. You know, they played him a little bit of shortstop. I think defensively he could be really good, probably at third base, but defensively he could be a really good third baseman. I think there's athleticism there. I think there's power potential there. All the things you talked about that when a, you know, that, that were seen in flashes and why he was one of the top pop-up prospects of the uh, 2019 draft class. However, if we're comparing, like Royce Lewis had, again, at a much higher level, Royce Lewis had a rough year last year, had a bad year. And you, you said there was concerns going back to Royce Lewis even when he was in high school. That said, 
everyone had seen Royce Lewis. I remember watching Royce Lewis as a top prospect. I have video of watching him as when I think he was a, a high school sophomore. Royce Lewis was track record city. We saw Royce Lewis with USA Baseball. We saw Royce Lewis at every major showcase. Everyone had been watching Focus bear down on Royce Lewis for quite a long time, which there's some comfort that comes with it. You kind of know who Royce Lewis is. When Royce Lewis has a bad season, you flash back to, okay, he had a great year the year before. He also was the best player on USA Baseball, 18U. There's all these things that you go back to. We can't go back to those things with Keone Cavico. I mean, it's just not – he does not have that track record. So when he goes out and has a very rough debut, you're at least a little bit more concerned than you would be if we were talking about someone else from the same class who had three, four years of track records being viewed as one of the best hitters in the class, Right. There's no question. I will say, you know, one of the things with him, um, he was very, very young for the class. He turned 18 just before the draft. He's a June 2nd birthday. So, you know, if you're a Twins, you're hoping, hey, he's really young, a long season. He led uh, East Lake to a CIF San Diego championship. He was playing the infield. He was pitching for them. He had had a very, very long season. He was very, very young. Um, he had obviously done a lot of, you know, extra workouts with teams in part because he was kind of an unknown. There was a lot of extra eyes on him. So I think, you know, you, you don't want to jump ship on, on a talented 18-year-old you know, who did play really good competition on the whole uh, within uh, San Diego County and Southern California Absolutely. in general. So, you know, I think it's just an important year to watch. But I did want to just go through with you what were the factors were behind leaving him out of the top 10. And uh and- We'll see. We'll see. Let, let me add one. Other, let me add one other thing with that, which is, is that, and he's not far off. Like there were iterations when he was in the top ten, and I'll give away one of the eleven through thirty for the prospect handbook. He's eleven, so I don't want listeners to hear this and think that we're in any way writing off that. Oh, you know, look away, turn away. He's a bust of a pick or anything like that. It just was. A cons- it was absolutely a concerning pro debut. And we'll see what, uh, you know, holds in the year ahead. JJ, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a really exciting system to talk about. Uh, you'll see when our organization talent rankings come out, the Twins are highly ranked. We'll see when the top 100 comes out. There's Twins aplenty. And uh, for a franchise that just uh, is coming off a 101-win season, that, that's a pretty nice place to be. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is bright times. I, I can't imagine, I can't remember in the I, – I, I know that they had some success early in the decade as well. And, you know, regular season success in, in the, sorry, and in the 2010s. I mean, this is not a system. This is not an organization that's just been utterly bereft, but I, it's gotta be, you know, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a twins fan, but, a, but, but I looking at it from the outside, I would have to think if you're a twins fan, that this has been about as fun uh, a stretch as there's been in quite a while, because, the team's been competitive. The team's coming off of an excellent regular season. And regular seasons are fun. 101 wins is fun if you're a fan. But on top of that, just looking at the division, they're the obvious favorite for, uh, for 2020 as well. And it does feel like that this is a team that's going to have some staying power as well and has a farm system to kind of keep it going as some of these guys. I mean, Nelson Cruz at some point will discover that he's really old for, uh, you know, for a successful big league hitter but they have players to fill in at that spot and they have that kind of across the that I'll put it this way. 
the team that they've been battling, if you're the Cleveland Indians, you know that you're facing a much more ticking clock with Francisco Lindor being a, a free agent before long, much more so than if you look at this Twins uh, roster right now. It's, it's a good time to be a Twins fan. Absolutely. We'll uh, look forward to seeing what they can do here in the 2020s, if they can have a similar run as they have in the 2000s and uh, get a little further in the postseason. JJ, thank you so much for joining us. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.